Chapter 8 of Cherry Ames Island Nurse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anita Sloma Martinez. Cherry Ames Island Nurse by Helen Wells. Chapter 8 The Sea Cave next morning meg left for st john's to do some extensive marketing and shopping for the house she expected to be gone a couple of days or so it took good management to keep a household the size of the barclays running efficiently meg managed it so effortlessly that no one was aware of how much time and thought she spent in making everything operate smoothly she had even taken on an extra maid an older woman with some experience in practical nursing for the few days she would be away so that cherry would have proper relief from duty lloyd left early in the morning for the mines and did not return all day it was late in the evening before he came in tired to go immediately to his room either in the morning or in the evening or both he would peek in on his uncle to see how he was cherry who could not get the mysterious figure on the lawn out of her mind would have asked lloyd about it but he was so absorbed in his work and always in such a hurry that she did not like to bother him thus it was not until several days had passed that she had a chance to tell meg about seeing the man in the moonlight meg laughed you probably caught one of the fishermen going down to our private beach she told cherry they aren't supposed to use it there are any number of other beaches but once in a while one sneaks down that explained someone crossing the lawn that night. Cherry's impression that the man was Jock Cameron was, after all, she realized, only an impression. The day after Meg got back from St. John's, Sir Ian had a good morning. Lloyd came to the house for lunch instead of having it at the staff dining room at the mine office. He reported to his uncle that he expected Number 2 mine to go into operations soon number two was nearest the abandoned number one mine mcguire agreed with lloyd that number two although well worked could be profitably operated by modern methods lloyd had really taken hold of his job as mining engineer while his uncle had still been in hilton hospital he had got under way a survey of the mines the equipment and facilities studied the production and other reports had assays made of ore from the different mines so that he would have a definite idea of the value now this news about number two was unusually good sir ian was as pleased as punch it did him a world of good he would not let on how happy it made him he simply grunted and remarked to cherry young fellow's full of beans to-day isn't he lloyd and cherry grinned at each other yes sir agreed cherry emphatically and what's more i think lloyd barclay is having himself a whale of a good time when nora the maid came to stay with sir ian that afternoon meg came to ask cherry if she could show her the beach and the sea cave the cave's really quite fun meg said cherry replied that of course she would be delighted they put on warm jackets because meg said it would be chilly and damp down there the two girls went out the front of the house, followed the narrow gravel path that led to the tower, and continued along the edge of the cliffs to stone steps cut in the rock. The steps started from the brow of the cliff and descended by turns and inclines to the foot, a hundred feet below. 
Cherry looked down over the edge to the sea and to where the waves were frothing about some black rocks a little distance from shore. The rocks formed a natural breakwater, and inside the sea at low tide, as it was then, was as still as a lagoon. She could see a patch of white where the cliff curved inward, forming a little bay with a stretch of sandy beach. "'It's beautiful!' Cherry exclaimed. "'I think so,' said Meg. "'On the other side of the rocks the sea is very deep, and there is good fishing. "'Shall we go on down?' "'Cherry said she was ready. "'With Meg ahead, they started along the zigzag course "'that the steps made in the face of the cliff. "'Cherry felt almost as though she were a fly walking on a wall, "'for the rocky crag rose almost straight upward from the sea floor. "'It was windy on the cliffs.' Their hair was whipped about, and they could feel the tingle of damp salt air on their faces. Although Meg tripped gaily in front of her with the ease of long familiarity, Cherry was glad to have the guard chain to hold on to. It ran through stout iron balusters embedded in the rock. As they went down, they disturbed the gulls, which took off with much screaming and a thunderous flapping of wings. When they reached the bottom, they'd stepped directly upon the white sand of the beach. At each end of the beach a jumble of rocks extended like arms into the sea. At the north end there was a considerable distance between the breakwater and the arm of rocks. Room enough for a good-sized boat to get through there, Meg said, when the tide is coming in. At the south end the rocks jut far out into the sea and it's too dangerous to try to get into the little bay. Lloyd and I used to wait for the tide and maneuver our catch in and out through the north passage when we were kids. She started to walk up the beach. Come along, she said to Cherry. I'll show you the cave. A few yards away was Rogue's cave. Cherry and Meg looked up at the entrance which had been dug out by the action of the sea and opened into the cavern. The archway was very high and wide. When the tide is in, Meg was saying as they entered the dim interior, you can bring a motor launch in here. Look, she cried. Someone has left a rowboat moored inside. Probably belongs to that mysterious character you saw the other night. She laughed lightheartedly. I've never known any of the fishermen to leave their boats before. The floor of the cave was on the same level as the beach. On one side, up about ten or eleven feet, was a broad ledge with several iron ring bolts secured in the rock. To one of these the rowboat was tied by a rope just long enough to permit the boat to rest on the cave floor. When the tide came in, of course, the boat floated to the height of the ledge. Cherry could see the marks left by the last tide tied like a ring around the walls. She was not too familiar with the handling of boats, but it struck her as odd to see the oar locks wrapped with cloth. Whoever had used the boat evidently had not wanted to make any noise, she concluded, so he had muffled the sound of the oars sliding in the locks. Hello down there, Cherry heard above her somewhere. Looking up to her left, she saw Meg poised like a pretty water sprite on the rocky ledge. Come on up, Meg invited. Use the steps down there at the end. Cherry found the steps, climbed up, and she and Meg walked along the ledge toward the rear of the cavern where there was an opening in the rocks and more steps going up. These vanished in complete darkness. Now I'll show you my special treat, if you don't mind a little dirt, Meg said, beginning to mount the stairs. We'll have to turn into night owls to see anything, I should think, Cherry told her with a laugh. 
it's pitch black up there meg of the mounties is never unprepared declared the other i have brought with me my faithful flashlight as you americans call it she snapped it on and what do you canadians call it asked cherry as she started to follow meg and the yellow circle of light flashlight replied meg gaily every time aunt phyllis used the english term torch for flashlight i had visions of a medieval character bearing aloft a burning torch the steps led up to a sort of tunnel or corridor which they walked along for several yards then meg stopped here we are she said stooping over to examine the rocks in the wall to her right she played the light over the wall for a minute or so now where is the thing anyway she felt along the wall with her hand oh i've got it see cherry it's this little black knob of stone i see it cherry told her now watch ordered meg she pulled on it and a thin slab of rock grated noisily and swung outward revealing an opening large enough for a person to enter meg promptly bent over and went inside cherry followed they found themselves in a narrow niche about six feet long and high enough for a not-too-tall man to stand upright without bumping his head it's the smuggler's old hidey-hole explained meg isn't it wonderfully eerie lloyd and i discovered it one summer ever so long ago we never told a soul we kept it a deep dark secret my it certainly is eerie agreed cherry eyeing the ancient stones gray and cold she could easily picture a smuggler armed with pistols and cutlass hiding from his pursuers gives me the same delicious shivers that reading a ghost story does she said doesn't it said meg she paused cocking her head listen she put a restraining hand on cherry's arm i thought i heard something they both listened a harsh sound as though of something scraping over stone or sand came to them from close by cherry who was standing near the wall smelled an overpowering odor of fish the sound seemed to come closer it was just outside just then to the girl's astonishment they saw the slab door of the niche closing for a moment they stood stock still watching with horrified eyes the door moving inch by inch cherry was first to act pushing meg aside she gave the door a tremendous kick it swung open with a sort of shrieking scrape across the stones meg leaned against cherry and laughed weakly aren't we silly she asked we almost frightened ourselves out of our wits you see there's a vent hole up above somewhere when the wind blows in a certain direction there's a great rush of air along this tunnel the wind has veered since we came in the cave and the draught pushed the door shut you see cherry it was only the wind she said flinging out her arm dramatically cherry let out her breath with a puff whee i thought we were about to be held captive by pirates or no telling what she said well i promised you a special treat and you can't say i didn't give you one meg pointed out at least i'll be prepared the next time you use the phrase observed cherry ruefully incidentally i think i'd better be getting back you're the doctor i mean the nurse meg replied 
I'd better be getting back myself. It's probably almost time for my story hour at the library. She bent down. I suppose I'd better lead the way, she said, and went with stooped back out the door. Oh, dear, she cried at once. I've lost an earring. Will you see if I dropped it in there? She handed Cherry the flashlight. As Cherry stood with her back against the wall, she got another strong whip of fish. She sniffed. It was definitely coming from the wall behind her. Turning around, she saw some kind of cloth tucked in a crevice between the stones. A corner stuck out, and on impulse she gave it a tug. It had been stuffed in loosely, and it came out at her first tug. She held in her hand a tote bag of canvas, a creel by the smell of it, stamped in black ink on one side were the initials J.C. Jock Cameron's creel, thought Cherry, suppressing a gasp. The day I saw him on the hill, he had one just like this. That night I saw him on the lawn. He must have been on his way here. Had he hidden here? Why? With these questions buzzing in her head, Cherry had not heard Meg calling her. Now she heard Meg almost shouting her name. Can't you find the earring? cried Meg. Cherry thrust the tote bag under her arm. I'm hunting, she sang out to Meg, and played the flashlight into the corners of the hidey hole. There was a glint, and Cherry pounced. Here it is, she exclaimed. She crouched over and made her way through the door. Thank you, Cherry. I'm awfully glad you found it, Meg said when they were outside the hidey hole. I just couldn't bear losing another. I have more unmatched earrings than anyone I know. She paused, sniffing, then exclaimed, Goodness, where is that strong fishy odor coming from? From this, Cherry said, holding the tote bag up to the beam of the flashlight. You see, I found something besides your earring in the hidey hole. Meg examined it, looking closely at the initials J.C. Now what do you suppose old Jock Cameron was doing in that hidey hole, she said, puzzled. You recognize this tote bag? Cherry cried. Meg shook her head. No. That was only a calculated guess, she admitted. But that's the kind of a creel some fishermen use, and Lloyd was telling me about old Jock going fishing on his days off. The tote bag has J.C. on it. Taken altogether, it seemed to add up to Jock Cameron, she sighed. And I practically just got through telling you, Cherry, that Lloyd and I had kept the hidey hole a deep, dark secret. But here's evidence that our cherished childhood secret has been discovered by someone, and that someone probably is old Jock. Meg ended on a mock tragic note and sighed deeply. Why do you suppose he, if it were Mr. Cameron, left the creel in there? asked Cherry. Oh, he leaves it here, so he'll have it when he goes fishing, I suppose, replied Meg. I suppose I'd better put it back where I found it in any case, Cherry said. Meg giggled and held her nose delicately. Yes, put it back quickly. Cherry ducked into the hidey hole and stuffed the creel again into the crevice. Outside once more, with the door to the hidey hole closed, Cherry said, If that was Mr. Cameron's creel, do you suppose that is his boat we saw tied up when we came into the cave? With muffled oarlocks, said Meg, starting back toward the cave entrance with Cherry following after her. Oh, no, I don't think so, unless— before she could finish, Cherry interrupted. So you noticed the muffled oarlocks, too? 
i noticed them right away answered meg and as i started to say before i was interrupted she said teasingly jock cameron wouldn't use a boat with muffled oarlocks unless he and some of the men have been going night fishing in the quiet water of the bay outside this cave it's an old fisherman's trick to muffle the oarlocks especially for night fishing so as not to make any noise and frighten the fish away but isn't it unusual for fishermen to be using your private bay and beach meg cherry asked you said they did sometimes but meg now interrupted cherry with it seems they must be using it pretty regularly yes it is unusual but if old jock and some of his friends are concerned i don't want to say anything i just wouldn't feel right about it all the same it might be a good idea to find out just what is going on around here as they talked the girls had been picking their way through the passage and down the steps to the ledge along the side of the cave they now stood at the end of the ledge in the daylight we could ask lloyd suggested cherry he might know i doubt it meg said he doesn't get to hear much about island goings-on you see he's been away so long that balfourians consider him almost an outsider so they're careful what they say to him of course they'll get used to him in time no the best way to find out about this she pointed to the boat on the sand below the ledge is to keep our own eyes and ears open especially you cherry ames why me i'm definitely an outsider cherry pointed out but i think you are more observant than any of us meg declared then added mischievously also because you have a penchant for solving mysteries so dr fortune told me End of chapter 8 The Sea Cave